Great, so we are now live. We've got YouTube and Facebook there. We got Instagram right here. So we're um, today we're going to be studying about uh, the subject of of education, and uh, we're going to be looking at how God educates us in our in our life and in our experience. So uh, first of all. When we're looking at education, there are four main subjects that um, are commonly mentioned that um, is kind of like the foundation of what a lot of education is. Who, what subjects would those be in school? Science. Science, that's one of them, yes. Math. What else? Math. Science, so we got math. Reading. So we, you got language, so that would be like reading. And then what was that, Kathy? History. History, yes. So, what I want to suggest to you is if we can turn to uh, chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. We're going to see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the Word of God says that... Um, what is the beginning of the, all of these different things right here? Proverbs 1, 7, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the, what I submit to you is that the fear of the Lord, the foundation of all true knowledge is the Word of God. So the first textbook of education is the Bible. And the Bible is the greatest place that we can learn as a foundation of gaining information and uh, training for every phase and area of our experience. When I say this, often a lot of times people people say like, well, you can't learn all things from the Bible. You can't find all the counsel from God's Word. And I remember I was teaching, I, I was explaining this to a teacher who was a missionary over in China. And we were going through this and I was like, well, well hold on. Who created language? <laughs> Who created language? It was God. How do we know that? Because on the Tower of Babel. Yes. Genesis 11 describes how in the Tower of Babel, God says, let us confound the languages and um, so that they could not speak to each other. So yes, God created language. Now, who created science? God. God, how do we know that? In Job, he talks about it a lot. Even in Psalms, but I don't know exactly. So, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17, the Word of God. You, you, did you know that uh, the word science is only found twice in all the Bible? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Daniel chapter 1 describes how Daniel was tempted. And he, he purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's meat or the wine which he drank. And by being faithful through that temptation in the education of, uh, uh, in the education of, when he was going through Babylon, actually, let's go there. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. This is really interesting. <coughs> Daniel chapter 1, and we could, uh, sure, you were saying verse 7? We mm -hmm. could read that. Um, well, actually, let's read verse 8. Okay. Daniel 1, eight. verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart 
that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the kings, the, uh, requested of the prince of the eunuchs, that he might not defile himself. And when we read before that, verse 5, this is, this is really interesting. Verse 5 it says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and the wine which he drank, so what? So nourishing. So nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So what was going on is that Babylon, the king of, of Babylon, was bringing all of these different uh, children of Israel into these Babylonian captivity, and now he is giving them food and wine, so nourishing them. But when you look um, that word on some other translations, um, it actually says so teaching them, instructing them. If you look at the original language, the nourishing is connected with an education and a training. So for three years, that three years, this is um, this is something that God has uh, that that Babylon was trying to train uh, these people. And look in verse four, it says, speaking of Daniel and the, and the other children, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all what wisdom, wisdom and cunning in all what knowledge, knowledge and huh understanding, understanding and science. And such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the, of Christ, the of the three angels' message of the everlasting gospel. No, of the Chaldeans. Babylon's education was seeking to educate the children of Israel in the Babylonian language and the Babylonian. Away, and even in they even had their own um, Babylonian like food pyramid that they they believe that meats um, and wine was a like a little wine was good for your heart or that meat was essential. Where are you going to get your protein? And that this uh, this was all put together. Um, you see, it's traced all the way back to Babylon, and it's part of the education that was being fed to them. But but we see that God's wisdom is uh, found. I mean, God is the author of science. All true science comes from God. And there's so many times that uh, the Bible said some scientific fact, and for years skeptics look at it, and they, said, and they laughed and scorned the Word of God, like how God says that uh, he, uh, he talks about the weight of the air. And for a lot of times we thought that weight had no, we, ha we thought air had no weight. But as science progressed, what they thought was not true, they actually found to be very true. And the Word of God talked about it thousands of years in advance. The advanced medical practices of quarantine, which a lot of us are, are under quarantine right now and being kept home. Um, but a lot of these things were, were biblical in, in the past. Like during the bubonic plagues, there was millions and millions of people that were dying. But it wasn't until the, the churches were encouraging them to to be in quarantine that finally the plagues were stayed and the black death stopped sweeping across the world but it was just simply following the biblical principles of uh, that God has given in his word so what about history when we're looking at history um, what is what is the greatest history book this world has ever known 
Bible. The scriptures. I mean, the whole Bible is a history book. And what this is the only, the Bible is the only true source of, um, and we, we can actually, we can say 1 Corinthians 10.11. 1 Corinthians 10.11 is powerful because it says that all these things that happen in history are took place and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So that we can understand through history that history is repeated. A lot of times, I remember when I was going to public school, teachers were saying we should study history so that we don't repeat it. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.15, that which hath been is now that which is to be that's future hath already been that's past and got 315 it's ecclesiastes 315 and god requires that which is past so most teachers say we should study history so we don't repeat it god says he requires that which is past god requires us to understand history because it's going to be repeated there are patterns throughout history that we can see. And by understanding the past, we'll get a better understanding of what is taking place now and why these things are happening. There's a lot of things happening in our government, in our world, and, and we won't make sense of it unless we have a correct understanding of the past. And then it gives insight for the future. And really, all prophecy is just history foretold. And history is simply prophecy fulfilled. I was never interested in history. And growing up and going to school, I'm like, ah, history is boring. What does this have to do with relevance in my life? And it wasn't until I started studying prophecies of Daniel and Revelation that I began to realize, I'm like, whoa, this is why history is so powerful. God actually predicted the, the rise and fall of major world empires and how all this was taking place in advance. This is incredible. Because once there was connected the plan of redemption, the story of Christ with the, the histories of this world, then it started to make sense. Then it started to matter to me. But it didn't before that. And so there's, there's a great danger to be studying history outside of the Bible. Because a lot of times, I mean, in history we've known that there's been entire libraries that were intentionally burnt down, history books destroyed. And history like tweaked and changed and glorifying of men and wars and they take God out of the equation and they exalt these dates and figures and these powerful men as saying that is the reason why these things happen but they don't they don't tell you the prophetic the biblical the spiritual significance and how it relates to the people of God and the purpose of our creation there's a lot of that that's taken out of the secular history that the, the students of the Word of God will be able to have um, by having a superior textbook. Because this is really what we're looking at. This is the textbook of, of God's education. the tea. Thank you. It's funny, um, I had a friend, he was, he was doing a study on education one day, and he was like, I'm going to be talking about edgem, uh, edgem, uh, uh, and he was like spelling it wrong on the whiteboard. And it was like a really morning class. He's like, oh, um, and it was just like, oh no, <laughs> it was a, a wrong time to be doing a misspelling. But, um, yeah, so what about math? Who created math? God did. 
God created math? How do we know that? Because he multiplies. He multiplies? <laughs> he <laughs> subtracts. He <laughs> how do we know that? Let me know in the comments if you're watching live. Who created math and how do we know that? What is a Bible Genesis. verse? Genesis? Genesis what? The creation story. Creation the story? seventh day is the Sabbath. Okay, yeah, the seven weekly cycle. That's very good. Yes, Genesis 2. And where did numbers start? It had to start with the first day of creation. That's true. That's true. And what about the stars and the multitude of the starry hosts? Yeah. That's, that's math to the max. <laughs> There's a lot of math in astronomy. Let's go to Daniel chapter 8.13. I really like this verse. Daniel 8.13. How do we know that God created math in Daniel 8.13? We're seeing, can the Bible really be the textbook of our education and give us guidance in all areas of our lives? Daniel 8, 13, there's so many, there's so much math in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So here we're, we're, we're seeing a time prophecy. We're learning about uh, the 2300 days. Who, who would like to read Daniel 8, 13 for us? Okay, thank you. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spoke, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot all right so this is saying i heard one saint speaking and another saint saying said unto that certain saint who has a marginal reading in your bible or if you have an electronic bible it's in your tsk or your note what is another word for that certain saint kathy do you have it says that or the number of secrets or the wonderful number so it says palmoni oh, yeah that certain saint is jesus and jesus is being called the number of secrets or the wonderful number god is actually called the wonderful number is that amazing mm -hmm. is that word again palmoma palmoni it's yeah, it's, it's P-A-L-M-O-N-I. Yeah, it's like a, it's a Hebrew word, but it's in the margin of uh, most people's Bibles. And so Christ is actually called the number of secrets. And secrets, Amos 3.7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants who? The prophets. The prophets. So the number of secrets is the numbers of prophecies. The secrets in the Bible are the prophecies of the word of Daniel and Revelation. And honestly, is there is there some math to calculate when you're <laughs> studying prophecy? Yeah. Oh yeah, there, there's some good math that you could do. There's timesing and multiplying. There's dividing. There's um, a lot of these different things. And and is there history with prophecy? Oh yeah. yeah. So these are some of the things that that the Word of God shows, and He even gave specific instructions to Noah this exact specifications of how to build the art to what lengths and there's mathematic equations within the building of uh, of um of the ark and someone mentioned too isn't isn't there an entire book in the bible called numbers yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wouldn't that be a good place to to find some some math in those scriptures a lot of it there's a lot of practical math in the word of god so hopefully we can see that the Word of God is a foundation of all true knowledge. The Christian alone can rightly understand true science. Because what happens, I mentioned that science is only found twice 
in all the Bible. You know where the second place science is found? Mm -hmm. The Word of God warns us against science a different so kind of... falsely called. First, first Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. First Timothy 6 and verse... Uh, sorry, First Timothy chapter 6 verse 20. Yes, we're going to read that. Yes, in the building of the tabernacle, there's, um, in the building of the sanctuary, there's lengths and there's numbers and there's things that you can measure. That's very good. Who would like to, to read 1 Timothy 6.20? I'm, I'm glad to see our friends from Pakistan and our friend from Belize joining us today. It's a blessing we get a fellowship with people from all around the world. Praise God. Amen. Welcome. O Timothy, guard that which is committed to you, turning away from profane babblings and oppositions of the knowledge which is falsely so-called. Okay, yours says knowledge which is falsely so-called. In the King James it says science which is falsely so-called. So we see that there are two contrasts there is a, um, I, I really like this, when you contrast, there's, there's a true, and then there's a false. And you see that there is a true science, and you see that there is a false science. But the problem is, that which many people call education is unworthy of the name. It falls greatly short of what God's standard of education really looks like. Because when you look at education in its truest sense, it's fourfold. Let's go over to Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. Luke 252. The education that God is seeking to give to each of us has four parts to it. And what are those four parts? And we can see that education is not... Well, we'll, we'll look at this. Um, Luke 2.52. Comron, would you like to read? All right. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Yes. So, Jesus did what? Increased. He increased. He grew he developed. True education is developing. Does is anyone here need to develop? Does, does anyone have some room to grow? I do. I think all of us do. I think all of us do. So, so one challenge with education, whenever we talk about this, people will think like, ah, oh, I'm not a teenager. I've already been educated or I've already gone through college. I've already gone through high school. Either I got my degree, I've arrived or I already got false education, it's too late for me, or my children are all grown up, so this doesn't apply to me. But in reality, education is development, it is growth. So we all have the, the room to grow, so we need to recognize that this is a very relevant experience to every man, woman, and child, and there is no point in the school of Christ where we just say, like, I've arrived. I've developed, like I've gotten to the fullness and stature. I'm like, I'm here. I have no more to learn. I have no more to grow. And our idea of what, um, what 
constitutes education a lot of times is kind of confused. Did you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Adam and Eve even was growing before they sinned. Yes, it's true. So in this verse we see Jesus increased in wisdom, that's, that's mental, and in stature, that's physical, and favor with God, that is spiritual, and favor with man, that is social. You see those four, four areas? We see that God wants us to grow in uh, the minds, And in, and he wants us to grow physically, and uh, spiritually, and socially. Does I think somewhere it says if we've been there ten thousand years, we will still have something to learn. Yeah, we're going to be learning throughout the six stages of eternity. Yeah. In this song, Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years. Yeah. The, um, and, and God created us to be social creatures. It is through the social relations that the gospel is communicated to the world. That is why we are using social media. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have YouTube. We have um, each other here. Just using whatever different social avenues that we have to communicate the gospel to the world. This is as we increase and we see where we're weak and we strengthen that. This is part of the education that God desires for us to have. And based on the word of God, our relationships, our influence uh, can only be in connection with our relationship with Christ. Hallelujah. So the closer we come to Christ, the closer we can draw others to him as well. What about, I, I know, um, what about, what about health? Does the Bible give us counsel regarding health? Yes. Yes. Lots uh, and lots. And it has to do with the physical stature. Yes, it does. What, how, how do we know that the Bible um, gives us counsel to health? Where, where do we see that in the scriptures? Oh. Where he he told Samson's mother how to eat. Oh yeah. Or when he told told us that we would not get the um, diseases that he put on the if thou wilt So where's that verse at? If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Yeah, where's that verse at? Exodus fifteen twenty six. Exodus fifteen twenty six. Great. Let's go there. Exodus fifteen twenty six. Sounds like I didn't get enough sleep, but really I did. Slept <laughs> early last night. Maybe you slept too much. I don't know about that. Got up pretty early this morning. Oh okay. I don't know. Exodus fifteen twenty six. And he said, "If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice." of the Lord thy God. Now question, where do we hear the voice of God speaking to our soul? Well, in verse 25, the statutes, the ordinances, and the commandments. And we, where do we hear the statutes, ordinances, and the commandments? In the Bible. In the Bible. The Word of God is our textbook. When we listen and we study out of this textbook, then the promises, and not only learn, but will do that which is right in his sights. 
and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Yes, through his word. And so the Egyptians are um, a symbol of the worlds. And we see that this world is in what, what they're saying is in a pandemic. And there is corona taking place and it is plaguing the world. And, and the media is making it very um, highlighted right now. And people are fearful about the future and what's going on and their health. And, and they're wondering what's going on. And, but the Word of God has given us counsel that if we simply study this, the world's greatest medical book, the Bible, then we can be preserved in our health. We don't have to worry about the coronavirus. What's amazing to me is that promise came immediately after they fussed over water and he threw in the tree and healed it. And he wow. says, I'll heal you if you yeah. listen to me and obey. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> God is the healer. It's like Psalms 103. It says, God who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. But the thing is, do we have faith? A faith that comes by hearing and by hearing the, the Word of God, the textbook, because God promises to heal every disease. Hallelujah. But false education says there's no healing for some diseases. False education teaches that this is incurable, that you can't heal this. But God's Word is saying, look, I, just as I could save you from your sin, I can save you from your, your disease. And in fact... Um, sin is a spiritual disease, and, and all disease is a symbol of sin. So as, as Jesus went about healing the sick and curing the incurable, he, you could see that He is showing that there is no sin that is too dark that I cannot heal you from. There is no sin that I can't recover you from. Hallelujah. He's a great physician who has never lost a case. Amen. What did you want to learn from that? What did you want to learn a health message from the great physician? But we can in his textbook. All we got to do is enroll ourselves in the school of Christ. And we do that in... Actually, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. This is probably one of the first Bible studies that Conrad gave to me in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. I was going through this and, and he was sharing with me some things. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, And we, we could see God is seeking to teach us. Jesus wants to be our teacher. But the question is, are we absenting ourselves from hearing the voice of our teacher? Or are we showing up to class? Are we enrolling ourselves in the school of Christ? Are we allowing Jesus to teach us? Because He is the greatest teacher this world has ever known. How does Christ teach us? Let's read Matthew eleven twenty-eight. And 29. Cameron, would you like to read this for us? Can you read aloud? Yeah. Amen. Uh, Matthew 11, 20 and 29? Yes. Okay. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, who is it that, um, 
when we're learning of Christ, he's positioning himself as a teacher. He's saying, look, come, enroll in my school. I will teach you. Do you guys know what the word disciple means? Father? What else does it mean? To teach. Kind of. It, the word disciple means student. It, it includes a father, but it means students. That's another definition for disciple. So anytime we say that, hey, I'm a disciple of Christ, we are literally saying that I am enrolled in the school of Christ. He is my teacher, and I am his students. And the textbook that God uses is the Word of God. What was the classroom that Jesus used? Nature. Yeah. Nature. Yeah. And testimonies. Nature testimonies. It was... Um, look, scripture. Yeah, it's a scripture. Now notice in verse 29, what does he say? Take my what upon you? Yoke. Yoke upon you. What was the yoke of Christ, Kamran? Self-denial and service. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's asking us to... To take our cross. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. You guys are good. Luke. Luke 9, 23. We're looking that taking up the yoke of Christ is connected with being a follower of Christ, being a student of Christ, being educated in His school. And uh, we're looking at Luke 9.23. What does it mean when we take up our yoke and follow Christ? We learn of Christ. What is He asking us to do? Kathy, would you like to read Daniel? Uh, Luke 9.23. And He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Wow. So taking up the cross is taking up the yoke. And when we take his yoke, he said his burden is easy and his yoke is light. And that's really a beautiful thing. Um, The cross is anything that crosses the natural affections and the will. It's our natural inclination to do something. Really, that cross is uh, what crosses our natural inclination. It's when we're reading in the textbook of education and we're reading in God's Word, and He says that do good to forgive those who have done wrong to you, even as Christ also hath forgiven you. Be kind one to another, forgiving one another. Sometimes it's really hard to forgive people when they've done so such wrong things to us. But that is our cross. That is our privilege that we have to learn of Jesus. That's good. Leah from Pakistan, she's seeing, uh, she's seeing the same things that we are. She's cross is coming to her mind also. And we have um, this sacrifice, this, the sufferings of Christ. This is what, what Christ is, is seeking to teach us to enter into um, and we there's a verse in Philippians that I'd like us to take a look at Philippians chapter 3 in verse 10 notice notice what Jesus is, is Paul Paul was speaking to Paul was actually praying for this 
every time I read this, I'm, I'm just like, Lord, give me this heart. Help me to be more like this. We're going to Philippians 3.10. In the school of Christ, this is a major textbook. We're looking at another textbook that, that um, God educates us in. And hopefully we're seeing that the education, true education does not have to do with your age. Doesn't have to do with the phase of life that you're in. We're looking at Philippians 3.10. The Bible says, That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His what? Sufferings. Sufferings. Being made conformable unto His death. So we're looking at this cross. Paul is actually praying that I may know Christ and fellowship. He's asking for a friendship with sufferings. He's asking for a closer, intimate connection and relation to the sufferings of Christ, the privation of Christ, the hardships of Christ, the cross of Christ, the sacrifice. Can you, how often do we pray for trials? How often do we pray for the sufferings and and discomfort in our lives? In Colossians 1.11, it says, Strengthened with all power according to the might of His glory, to all patience and long-suffering with joy. Wow. That's so we're, we need to learn from Christ how to suffer with joy. With joy. That's right. <laughs> and a lot of times when we suffer, we're like, Lord, why me? And you're like, oh, no. And you pray. And then, like, obstacles come and, and circumstances. Yeah, please take away this obstacle. But what we need to pray is not that God would take away the problem, but that God would give us the grace and the strength to endure the hardship. And the joy. And the joy to endure. So a major textbook that Christ used, and he uses today for each of us, is the trials of life. Trials. I encourage you, how do you look at trials in your life? Do you look at trials and shriek from it? Or do you look at trials and say, praise God, rejoice in tribulations, and, and beloved, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trial of your faith worketh patience. And we can look at these hardships, these issues. A lot of times, whenever there's like, a gap between what we've expected and what actually takes place we start that's when it especially hits home hard and this is a time where we got to say praise God plans change that your plans could be fulfilled in my life yes I have trials what I really think is what am I supposed to learn from this that's right praise the Lord amen because all trials if received as educators will produce joy and we can be sure of that. So when we look at these trials, the, the, the truth is, it's really unfortunate. In false education, the promise is, if, if you come to our school, you get our degree, we're going to give you, or they're promising this nice high-paying job where you can be successful in this world, have a nice big home, nice, nice vehicle, and you're going to have like accolades and respect and honor and you don't have to go through all those trials and the hardships and of life you just just dedicate your like three years of your life or four or five years of your life like we're in babylon um and then it is 
It is this vision of not having to endure trials, not having to lack or, or having convenience or sacrifice. But God is saying, look, trials is promise. In the world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Yes? And the end result of the false education is sickness and death. Yeah. I mean, look at how many people waste their whole life getting the money, and by the time they get the money, they're so sick they can't enjoy it, and they yeah. die early. It's true. And that's what happened with Steve Jobs. He spent a lot of his mm -hmm. life getting the money, and then at the end, he died of cancer, and he realizes, like, just money can't buy everything. And I, I've heard, I've heard of people, I've heard it say that people spend the first half of their life sacrificing their health in order to get wealth, and then they spend the last portion of their life sac sacrificing their wealth in order to try to regain their lost health. And it's just like, why? When, when Christ says that you can have life and have life more abundantly, and the Word of God condemns no man for being wealthy if he acquires it honestly. And the blessings of the Lord that maketh rich. Deuteronomy 8.18 8, says, It is God that giveth thee power to get wealth. So wealth is a blessing from the Lord. It's a treasure from Him. But the key is we have to recognize God's ownership. It's not ours from the might of our power and our strength that has gotten this wealth, as Deuteronomy 8 talks about. But when we recognize God's ownership and we give glory where glory belongs to Him, then he, we prove to be faithful stewards, and he wants to entrust us also with more. You see, one king had to spend, what was it, three years? Oh, eating As an grass. animal. Eating grass. Yeah. <laughs> eating grass. grass. Yep, seven years eating grass. He lost his mind because in Daniel 4, he's like, it's not, it's not the great Babylon which I have built from the power of my hand and the might of, for my glory. And then the very moment, while the words were still in his mouth, he lost his mind. He was driven to the field. He lost everything. And he had to eat <coughs> this plant-based diet, lots of grass. And, um, and then until finally at the end, he glorified God. And he saw, wow, there is a God of heaven. And he revealed the secrets. And he is the one who is in charge, not me. And what's incredible about that is God was able to take that haughty king and lay his glory to the dust and that he exalted God, and he, this pagan king actually was given the the spirit of prophecy, and God used him to write a portion of the Bible. Daniel 4 was written in the first person, I, Nebuchadnezzar. And it's just like incredible when you see the mercy and the grace of God. And if God is able to subdue the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, then how much more is God willing to subdue our hearts? Praise the Lord. So let's look at another verse. Um, God is seeking in this education to teach us that we can covet pain, toil, and sacrifice so we can empathize with other people, so we can, we can have fellowship with the suffering of Christ. But let's go to, um, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. I just saw a new way to look at this verse I've never seen before. And um, Cameron was sharing this with me one day. So he's sharing with me his devotions. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. 
Mom, would you like to read it? Sure. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Yeah, this is powerful. That's good, too. Yes, we'll, we'll read that. But he says that his grace is sufficient. It's enough. That no matter what we're going through, God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. No matter the trial, this is a time when we want to lose faith, when there's uncertainty in the air and the future seems uncertain. But this is the time where we have the greatest opportunity to trust in God. How we respond to the crisis is what makes the difference. Many, It's in the crisis that character is revealed, not developed. But it's in a crisis where, where the, the leaders of tomorrow are revealed in the crisis of today, this is a time where God wants His, the voice of His servants and His students to be speaking up and to be proclaiming the character of Christ. Did you, did you have something you want to say? Oh, I was just going to say, and that's, it says, if, it said, um, that the power of Christ may rest upon me if we trust in Him. Right? Yes. Yeah. And grace is power according to this verse so grace is strength my grace is sufficient for thee my strength is made perfect in weakness a lot of times we see our weakness and we we look at our weaknesses as inabilities and meaning that we can't do certain things but god is looking at your inabilities as his opportunities to work to supply the grace sufficient to your need the greater the weakness the greater the grace that is supplied to make up the deficiency. Praise the Lord. And if you turn from it, you don't get that grace. That's right. Mm. Yes. I got the wrong chapter. I mean, to oh, start Second with, Corinthians could, twelve nine. Yeah, but First oh. Corinthians oh. twelve nine says another gifts of healing in the same spirit. <laughs> oh yeah, amen. I like First Corinthians twelve. It talks about the body of Christ. And the healing was right there. <laughs> amen. Let, let's read verse 10, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. I'll read this. It's, um, well, actually, uh, the end of verse 9, where Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in our trials and in our infirmities and in our weaknesses and our in our obstacles and trials, this is when uh, Paul is glorying. He's like, yes, praise the Lord for the sufferings of Christ. He's praying for the fellowship of his sufferings. Why? That the power, the grace, the strength of Christ may rest upon him. And then he elaborates, verse 10, Therefore, I take what? Pleasure. Pleasure in infirmities. Yeah, joy. It's pleasing to him. Pleasure in reproaches, pleasure in necessities, pleasure in persecutions, pleasure in distress, for Christ's sake. Do we take pleasures in necessities or in wants when we're lacking? So much of our decisions is made out of fear of loss. A fear that if I give this away, I won't have enough for myself, for my family. We're so afraid 
that in the, some future time we will lack something. We will need something and we don't want to be needy. And it's like you're saying in Exodus, they were, the, the children of Israel were crying out to Moses. They're like, you brought us out here to kill us, that we would die in the wilderness. We need water. We need food. And they still had water. But God said, all right, Moses, hit the rock and it will flow through. It will flow forth water in the desert and will, will, will um, quench all of their thirst. And they were, what was amazing is they still had water but they were just crying out for some future worry. How often do we borrow from the stresses of tomorrow and we just take them upon our own and we own them? It's like we want to, we want to, um, it's like we are taking on trials that God never gave to us. We're taking on burdens God never gave to us. But the alternative is a sacrifice, the future. Sacrifice our necessity. Sacrifice our comfort. Sacrifice our wants, and just trust that God will see us through. He's promised to supply all our needs. That's right. All. That's right. Part. <laughs> and that rock that was smitten in the wilderness, that rock was Christ. That water is the water of life that froze freely. And that water of life is symbolized by the Word of God and the textbook. So as we are having our devotions, what's powerful is when we claim what is relevant, a lot of times we might be going through a specific trial or a specific thing that is causing us stress and perplexity in our lives and we're unsure. There's a question in our mind and this question is causing a lot of difficulty in our experience and we are lacking that trust. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It's not enough to, to study something five years ago. God, the grace of yesterday is not enough for the grace of today. And likewise, we can't receive the grace of Christ today that's going to prepare us for tomorrow. Lamentations 3 describes how His graces are new. His mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not. He has given us grace sufficient for that day. And so it's important in our devotions that we are intentional, that we are gathering together the promises relevant to that experience that we are going through. So that as we are in the trial, that's how we can have joy. By affirming the words of God, by claiming those promises, and knowing that this is applied to my experience now. And why was Paul able to do all this? Verse 10, notice it says we're going towards the end. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Did you guys catch that? The reason why Paul was able to have so much pleasure in sufferings and sacrifice and uncomfort is because he knew by faith that it is, it is when he steps out of his comfort zone, his comfort zone gets better, bigger. He knew that in his weakness, that's when God's strength is glorified. He knew that when something was above his ability, out of his control, that our obstacles are God's opportunities to work a miracle. Hallelujah. He knew, and therefore he took pleasure. He gloried in infirmities. This is what God is trying to teach us again and again and again through all the trials of life. That's why my heart yearns for those who feel like, you know, I'm already old. Like I've already gone through education or <clears throat> education isn't something that applies to me. But who isn't going through trials? The scary thing is, it's if you don't look at your trials as the textbook of God's lessons, like a brother was saying that um, 
when you go through a trial, you're like, Lord, what, are you, what lesson are you trying to teach me? If we don't have that mindset, then we are going to be... What is that called? You know how when you're in school and you're like ditching class? Um, truant. Truant, yeah, well, like that. But it's like we're going to be absent. Um, skipping skipping the lessons that God has. I mean, we could just blindly flunk. flunk. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to flunk the big test. But um, all of this, we could just be blasting through life, blindless, aimless, not realizing. We're praying for help. We're praying for like guidance. Like how often do we pray for patience? And then as we're driving, some person like cuts us off and we're like, oh, what, what are you doing? And then we get angry and we're like, God, I'm praying for patience. Why is all these things happening? But we don't realize by paying for patience, we're praying for trials of that patience. Because it's through the trials that strength is exercised. It has to tear down before it could break up. It has to be test. And uh, God is answering our prayers with trials. So we can look at the trials and say, praise God. Thank you for answering my prayers, Lord. You knew that I needed this. Just help me to be receptive of the lesson that you have for me. And then everything changes. Then when we're, we're like called to do things uncomfortable, when we, are pr- when we feel pressure, when we feel pressured in our experience doing things that we are uncomfortable with, we can know that if there's no pressure, then there's going to be no diamond. No pressure, no diamond. That's how the diamonds are formed when the coal has a lot of pressure and God is trying to fashion something precious in our character, precious in our experience. But if we skip out on the, on the class, we're going to skip out on His character being reproduced in us. Yes? Um, I was just thinking... Um when we skip out on the trial that that God has allowed before us, um, we're like leaving Him because He wants to be with us through it, and we're just like like leaving Him behind. And so then we're sometimes left on our own if we're falling into sin. Um, yeah, it's true. It's very true. But I would, I would. Um, I would say, I know that there's there's other things too. Like, for instance, a lot of times people don't feel that the Bible has uh, relevance on, um, like, everyday duties and everyday lives. Like, I remember in my experience, I, I really struggled with, um, I really struggled with washing dishes when I was younger. And um, the... Uh, that was my chore to wash the dishes, and I didn't want to do that. And then when I became a Christian, I gave my heart to Christ. I like, I just saw in my experience that that was just I had so much reluctancy to do that, but I wanted to. But it's just there was this there was this battle and this fight. And so what's incredible is the Word of God has counsel regarding everything. And so what I decided to do was take the Word of God and see what does the Bible say about washing dishes. It's like, does the Bible talk about washing dishes? Like any responsibility in life, domestic or in the work or occupation that we've taken. And I started studying and I went to uh, 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 13. Let's check that out. 2 Kings 21, 13. And this is just like an example that you could apply to just everything in life. That there are 
there's no phase of human experience that the Word of God doesn't give us ample counsel. 2 Kings 21, 13. I was reading this, and I found how um, God was saying that I, speaking of himself, will stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. <laughs> so God is actually saying that I am going to wash dishes as a man wipes the dish. So first of all, it's manly to do dishes. Second of all, well, like I used to wonder, it's like, you know, we don't really eat on the bottom of the plates. Do we really have to wipe the bottom of the plates? Like, I mean, that's not what we're eating off of. But the Word of God is like, no, God turns it upside down and He washes both sides. God's work is very thorough. And so if I want to reflect the character of Christ, then, then my work also needs to be thorough. Yes? In Matthew 23, 25, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He calls them <coughs> hypocrites. For ye may clean the outside of the cup, and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. So if, if you're not, that's Matthew 23, 25. Yeah. And if you don't thoroughly wash a dish, he calls you a hypocrite. Yeah, the, the half-hearted work of um, not thoroughly washing dishes is represented as hypocritical. And, so, and, and the work that we do is an index to our character and how we do anything is how we do everything. And if we are glorifying God, even by washing dishes, we could be fulfilling God's plan for our life. We could be fulfilling His character in us. And by searching and going through Moses and seeing the counsel that God gave ancient Israel in doing dishes, how the brazen pots would be broken and the metal pots would be heated, scoured, with rinsed with running water, not the stagnant stuff, but just seeing all of the different principles in God's Word about washing dishes, that gave me so much encouragement. It gave me promises. I received grace sufficient to my need. I received counsel that was so relevant. It's like having a conversation with the monarch of the universe, with the wisdom of the Almighty, the creator of the ends of the world. And when I had a question, it's like I go to the Word of God and He speaks to me as a man would speak mm -hmm. to a friend. Even about something like washing dishes, so many of us wish, it's like, if only I can hear an audible voice of God. But when you learn to study what is relevant, He'll, he'll teach you. And I was able to overcome that. And I don't have any problems washing dishes now. Um, and, but the Lord, is, uh, the Lord is very good. And I, I share that just to show that there's nothing in the Word of God that He doesn't give us principles that can help us. Nothing in our experience that the Bible cannot be a textbook for that could teach us and guide us in every way but the question is will you enroll in the school of christ will we allow that to be our guide in every phase of our experience because this is who god is looking for he's looking for those who will look at the word of god as their instruction their preparation their training the first and the last of everything that we do so that we can be in harmony with his commandments Amen. Yes. I, I just want to say this concept that I, I just learned. And um, I was some things that they're trying to teach us on electronics and how to, how to work them. And what you do is you listen to how, how it's being said to do, do, be done. Then you stop the, 
the um, video and you do what it is and then you go back and you you start it again and then you stop where you need to stop and you do that and you know and before I would just kind of like breeze through and just listen to it and then get to the end and say well was I supposed to do A or B or well, and I didn't work and, and yeah and then yeah and so it's like stop to see what you need to do and then do it yeah, yeah. I just learned that and and that's also one of the experiences I mean the uh, the textbooks that God uses is experience oh did I jump ahead no okay. you just shared it that was good and it's connected with trials, but the experience of not just being hearers, but the difference between false education is they encourage a system of cramming. They have a system of cramming, book knowledge, it's very heavy on just information, but true education is, is very practical. It's a practical experience in the things of God. It doesn't neglect the knowledge, but it, it has an emphasis on practice and putting into to practice the things that we learn and that's so true when you learn and you do I, I like the analogy of of like marching when you're when you're marching and you're trying to go somewhere we're in the Lord's army your right leg is the knowledge the book knowledge and the left leg is the experience if you just do one and you're just learning 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 and you're just studying all the books books and you're sitting hours after hours in class and you're and you're not putting into practice, you're going to go in circles. You're going to be frustrated with your experience. You're going to be like, why am I not making progress? And you're just, I feel like I'm spinning in circles because you are. But the likewise, there is the opposite extreme of the left of just doing. A lot of times we get so excited, we do, we do, we do. Or we're, we have a tendency of like Martha where we just work, 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 work. And we don't take time to spend in the Word of God. And a lot of times people use work as a distraction to... To, so that our minds don't have to think, so we don't have to reflect upon life, so we don't have to consider where we stand with God. And if we consider honestly with an open heart where we surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I lay myself open to you and I give you permission to work in my life, then we don't have to be afraid of stopping and saying, God, I, I'm here and I, I'm willing to be made willing. Teach me. Then He can speak to us. But I, but if we work too much at the neglect of our, our of our education with Him, that could be a problem too. The beauty, the progress, the growth, the object of our creation is found in using both the right and the left. And so you learn, you do, learn, do, learn, do, and then you're able to make progress in life. And you're marching to victory. You're marching from one glorious victory to the next. Mm -hmm. And this is what our experience can be when when we when we follow God's system of living. If um, there is that's a lot of verses. Oh great. Let's go to Psalms 84, verse 7, and we'll end here. Look at the experience that God wants us to have when, when we take His textbook and we apply it to our life, when we allow God to educate us. Psalms 84, 7. This is what Jesus knew the life of His disciples would be. His grace, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Whatever we lack, He has it ready to supply. Psalms 84 verse 7 the word of God says 
they go from weakness to weakness. Is that what it says? <laughs> from strength to strength. Every one of them, that includes every one of you, everyone individually, as though there's not another on earth, in Zion appeareth before God. That God would have our life to be from one glorious victory to the next. You go from one magnificent win to another. You go from strength to strength to strength. It does not have to be a life, a vicious cycle of sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting, and this constant just failure and, and hardship, but that it can actually be a um, going from strength to strength when we follow the glorious plans that God has in store for us. So if this is your desire that you want to march to victory and you want to have strength in your experience in all areas of life and make it a true success, and you want to study the textbooks of God's education, I invite you to, to close with me with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for what you have given us, the opportunities that we have that are all around us to understand the specific instruction you have given us in your word, to understand the problems that we are facing in life and how your word has all the answers. Lord, teach us to look at the trials as they truly are blessings, educators, and a friend. Help us to have the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Help change our minds, to renew our minds that we can see what you see. Give us a new way of looking at the challenges of life. Thank you, Father, for your love and for your care and all that you do for us. We pray for your guidance this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Ziana, you brought something. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm.